welcome to Conversations with Leaders in Public Health, a podcast of the Heartland Center at St. Louis University. The production of this podcast was supported by funding from the CDC. Its contents are solely the responsibility of the Heartland Center at St. Louis University and do not necessarily represent the official views of the CDC. Dr. Marvia Jones is the director of the Kansas City Health Department. In 2022, she earned the distinction of being the first black woman in the city's history to ever lead the health department. Dr. Jones has more than 15 years of experience in the field of public health with a special interest in violence prevention and health policy. Dr. Jones is an expert in the design, implementation, and evaluation of sustainable prevention programs. These are skills she honed while serving as an evaluation fellow at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in Atlanta, Georgia. While at the CDC, she evaluated the effectiveness of prevention tools provided to state and local health departments and developed recommendations for public health best practices. Dr. Jones earned a PhD and a Master of Public Health degree in Community Behavioral Psychology from the University of Kansas and a Bachelor of Science in Chemical Science from Florida State University. Dr. Jones, welcome to our Heartland Center podcast. Thank you so much, Dr. NR. This is such a pleasure to be here. So let's begin by discussing your role in in responding to the COVID-19 pandemic. How would you rate the performance of the Kansas City Health Department, particularly during the reopening stage of the response? Right, so my it's, it's funny you ask it in that way. My role um, was not the same one that I'm in now. I was not yet the director, um, but I was on the reopening policy team where we were uh, scurrying to put together uh, guidelines for how do we reopen all of the things that we had um, in some ways contributed to some of the restrictions on, on some things. So how many kids could be at a, a childcare facility and how many folks could be in a restaurant or a church for, uh, per se. And um, I will say that I will rate the performance of the health department. I would say we, we did a fair job of trying to balance um, the needs of every sector of our community, as well as trying to be mindful that we there was still a risk. So we, we began the reopening during a time when COVID-19 had not really abated all that much. Uh, and so we were really trying to figure out ways to get, you know, ease some of the burdens and pressures we were hearing about from things sort of being restricted, while also not giving the um, the impression that it was safe to just go back to the way we were fully. And so I think that um, we, it was not great for anyone. Um, I don't think we, you know, necessarily excelled in that. Um, so I would, again, say just a fair rating for that. And I think one of the re- the problems, the reason it wasn't wonderful was because um, by that time, and, and this isn't just Kansas City, it's, you know, health departments throughout the country were because we had been involved with trying to raise awareness around the severity of COVID-19 and the, the restrictions that needed to be made, people, some people were not really happy with us. Um, that was a big, uh, we saw a big politicization of the pandemic. Um, and so we were just in a really tough time. Okay. 
In what ways, if any, what do you feel like your city's response was among the best in class? Mm -hmm. And in what ways do you feel like you had more missteps? Yeah, so I think as far as best in class, we did a really great job of saying, here's where we are with the with the data. Here's where the data tells us we are in the course of this pandemic. Um, here's what you still need to be doing to take care of yourself. We kept those messages very consistent. And then from a, um, a clinical perspective, we really, we had a sort of a small but scrappy team uh, that had by this point gotten their, their sea legs and were really adept at getting out to sort of far-flung, underserved areas of our city and making sure that equity uh, was being considered in how well they distributed vaccination. So I think that's that's where I really am, am proud of the work that we did. Um, missteps, I think that we heard people saying, you know, well, now that things are sort of reopening, can my church have, you know, 45 people in it, you know, versus the the 30 people you told me before, is it time to go back to church? And, you know, will my school close, you know, but the teachers still don't feel safe coming back to school. And I feel like we maybe did not really have a clear answer for many people. We, we kind of, because of, you know, the state we live in, in Missouri and the legislator, legislature had already made changes to um, the types of powers that health directors had. And so we had, you know, city council having to vote on restrictions and they have them having to adopt ordinances. Um, we were just in a weird space. We were in a weird space and we could not really, we didn't really adapt to that immediately. You know, we were coming from a time where the health director sort of could just say, okay, this is how we need to move forward in this area. Here's what's at risk. Here's what we need to put out. And now with the political changes, we're now having to yield more of that, I feel like, to the political process. Um, and so I think we were a lot of people were sort of confused during that time. Is there anything that you would, you know, if you look back um, with, you know, with your um, knowledge from the future, is there anything you would have done differently? Done differently. Um, I think we would have understood the importance of having built a public, when I'm going to say this kind of strangely, a public, public health infrastructure. So a public health infrastructure that was beyond the walls of clinics in our health department, but it included neighborhood leaders, uh, residents, you know, people who were highly connected in their, you know, sort of social networks. We would have done a better job of building those up prior to or even at the start of the pandemic because those folks had a huge amount of influence on what people believed, what people believed to be true about what we were saying, and um, how accessible they felt information was at the time. So now we know that, and I'll talk a little bit later about some of the things we're doing now based on the lessons we learned from that time period. Okay. Well, you have dedicated your career to identifying, measuring, and addressing the barriers to healthy living that exist at the local, state, and federal levels. And you've had a particular focus on structural barriers. Can you talk about an initiative that you're particularly proud of that you launched to address the barriers to healthy living? Sure. Uh, one of the projects that I'm really proud of is our Community Wellness Ambassador Program. 
And this was something that, you know, uh, is about a little bit more than a year old. We started it pretty much um, this, you know, within the first few months of me being in my new role. And we really, oh, I'm sorry, the Wellness Ambassador Program is where we take, again, everyday people throughout the community, representative of every part of the city. Um, and we just say, hey, we're not asking you to come work with us. We're not asking you to quit your job or whatever. We just want one, you know, four hour block of time every month for you to come in, get to know our staff, get to know our data, get to know um, the different health issues that we work on, and you be our uh, our voice and our ears out in the community um, about these issues. And so we launched it, had not really seen real models for how to do this, but we said, and by the way, we're going to pay them to do it. And so, you know, we're talking about people who already don't have a lot of time in their, you know, a lot of downtime. They also don't have, many of them, not a lot of income. So sometimes we notice when programs ask for volunteers, you're, you're not getting the people you really need to pull in because they don't have that extra bandwidth. So we said, let's pay them. It's not a lot. It's less than 300 bucks a month. Um, and so we've now been doing that. Um, as I said, uh, July, or the beginning of July will be one year. And we've just seen an incredible return on our investment of these folks coming in, you know, once a month, they sit with us for four hours, we have an, a morning session and an evening session just to accommodate schedules. Um, we show them, you know, we've talked to them about lead, expo exposure to lead and how they can test for lead and how they can tell people about the impacts of lead and so many people had never heard of this before. You know, so we have whole programs that have been in our city for 20 years plus about how we have these whole areas of our city that are contaminated with lead and we have children who are um, who have lead poisoning. And these folks had never heard about it. And so being able to educate this roughly group of roughly 50 people on something like this and, and HIV and, and, you know, HIV is still a thing in the community. Here's some test kits you can distribute. and you know, here's this, and let me tell you about um, what moms need before they give birth and, you know, prenatal care, just being able to expose them to all these topics. How do you identify misinformation? You know, we have heard them, we, we collect data from them every month, and they tell us, I've talked to this many people. Uh, people now come to me at church as, they're, as they, they think I'm some sort of public health guru, you know, um, this is what we're hearing from them and just to see the pride with which they wear those little pins. You know, we didn't have a lot of money to start. So we, you know, got these little pins and, and they love them. They wear them with pride in the community. Um, you can hear that that's something I'm just really blessed with and uh, to have been a part of and just really proud of. All right. Um, so the Casey Blueprint for Violence Prevention, I'm gonna change directions here a little bit. Uh -huh. How did that come about? And are there any data or particular accomplishments thus far that you can share with us? Yes, so um, the Casey Blueprint for Violence Prevention is the name of what we were calling a few years ago, our Youth and Family Master Violence Prevention Plan. And you started seeing these pop up in different cities uh, within the past uh, five to six years. Minneapolis um, is one of them. And then another location in the Northeast, I believe, where they were, people were establishing offices of violence prevention, 
uh, to address violence prevention from a non-criminal justice approach. And so this is a natural lead, lead role opportunity for the health department to convene. And so we partnered with the Prevention Institute, um, which is out of Oakland, California, and they came in and they helped us convene different stakeholders to all contribute to this youth and master, youth uh, violence prevention plan, youth and family violence prevention plan. We renamed it to the KC Blueprint uh, for Violence Prevention. And it really lays out, um, well, one thing we're proud of is it lays out how every sector, whether you're the media sector or the health and human services, or even a business sector, how we all contribute to um, our communities in a way that can either support or prevent violence uh, at every level. And so we're really proud that we've seen, you know, thousands of people go online and read the report. Um, we've been doing presentations. We've, we've presented to hundreds of people at this point. Um, and then one of the biggest sort of culminations of that work has been the funding that we've received from the city of Kansas City, specifically for violence prevention. So our first ever violence prevention fund was formed, which is guarantees $30 million over a period of five years, so roughly $6 million a year. Um, we now, that's not a ton of money, particularly when we compare that to like the police's budget or anything like that, but it is a signal from our city leadership that okay, we've heard you loud and clearly that we need to find ways to combat violence uh, from a public health perspective. Um, advice that I would give for other local public health administrators who want to launch a similar initiative is to lay out um, as clearly a plan as you can for how um, as many people as possible tie in the violence prevention. You know, there will be business owners or, or such saying to me, I wish there was something I could do about all this violence. You know, I wish and they would just, you know, go back to their business and then get in their car and drive home and not think about these issues anymore. So I think I would advise folks to be really clear on, no, here's here's what actually what you can do. Do you give your staff time off to volunteer in the city that you serve? I realize many of them may not live in the city uh, where we are, but you could incentivize them to be a mentor or to be a volunteer in one of the local schools that you know is not always resourced the way it could be. So finding those very clear ways, if you're the media, we want you to um, promote as many good things that are going on in these neighborhoods as you promote the shootings that happen here. You know, can you do that? Can you be mindful of how you use your mug shots and, you know, make sure there's equity there and how people um, who are accused of a crime are being represented. These are all just examples of very clear ways we can demonstrate how um, every sector has a role to play in violence prevention. Okay. Um, have you, what were some of the particular barriers? It sounds like um, getting other sectors to do things differently. Um, I can imagine that there are some barriers to that. Mm -hmm. um, what were some of those and how did you, how did you overcome them? Yeah, some of the barriers are um, really just ingrained behaviors in our systems. Um, and I say that not to, you know, blame or cast, you know, uh, an aside on any one sector, but some of it is calling some folks to the carpet. You have to do that with care and with respect. For instance, one of the things we said to the faith community was, hey, you guys have all these buildings. 
um, some of them in very disadvantaged neighborhoods and it sits empty, you know, at least four days or five days out of the week. Um, what are you doing for that neighborhood? How are you using this asset really? Um, and, and so if you if you say something like that the wrong way, you can really tick off some people. Um, but when we put in the plan, hey, figure out how you can better use it to support your community. That kind of overcame that barrier a little bit. So we're not trying to offend them. But then what we did to uh, really move forward with that is to say, all right, here's what we'll do. We'll put out a contract um, with a, at least one local church to start where the health department actually funds you to create sort of a youth, um, a place where a, a youth in crisis can turn to for some immediate counseling. Maybe they just ran away. Maybe there's someone who wants to hurt them, another peer. They're fighting. They're going here quickly because they don't know where else to go in that moment. Can you be that space for this little catchment area? And, you know, you, we put the money out. We, we had at least one um, church that was very interested um, at that time. I anticipate now kind of a year out, we'll see more of them interested. But and really putting our money where our mouth is. So that was one way to overcome some of those barriers of like, hey, you're just giving us more work to do. You know, we're already on strain budgets, right? Being able to say here, we're going to take our little bit of money and we're going to share some of it with you because we, we value you and we see you as a partner, a real one. Okay. Lots of projects that you are um, involved in. Um, what's the biggest challenge you're facing right now in your role and how are you tackling it? Um, I got to say, um, I'm someone who um, does not really, uh, politics is not something I like delight in, you know, I understand the purpose for sort of the political uh, process and the, you know, political discourse for sure. I understand, you know, this is just a part of, of our system. And in many ways we benefit from it. However, as someone who is a department head for the city, it does kind of put you in this space where you are um, working at, at the behest of many times of like elected officials. Um, you're, you know, you, but you're also privy to information that maybe not everyone knows. You can look at your data and see what the biggest health issues are. But unfortunately, your work is sometimes more so governed by what people may perceive as the biggest issue of the day or something that they're more interested in. And so there's this delicate dance of, OK, how do I serve, you know, using my experience and my expertise in the way that I should, while also being able to. Um, give them what they need as well. And so the way that I am trying to tackle that and I've had some success has been to just maintain very open communication with my uh, local elected officials. So um, we've started meeting with them every quarter. We give them sort of a brief overview. You know, they don't have a lot of time. They don't have a lot of bandwidth to absorb a lot of information, but sharing with them, here's what the data looks like for your district, your area. Um, here's kind of what's on the horizon for us that when we think about policies we'd like to support, but tell us what you're hearing. What are you thinking? And what does this data say to you? And so in some respects, we're sort of guiding them toward, you know, we, you know in very simple graphic format, uh, maps and all of that, 
we're showing them what the issues are so that they can see them and we're in treating them as a partner. Um, so now they're like, oh, I didn't realize asthma was so bad in that part of town. I, I, I didn't realize that uh, so many of the folks in my district were dealing with stroke like that. Wow. You know, now we now I have a partner who can help me champion stroke and asthma issues. Um, whereas, you know, the opposite is just sort of waiting for them, you know, me doing my thing and then waiting for them to come and bother me with their thing. <laughs> we're now looking at the issues together. Um, we're also trying to do that, obviously, at the state level. Um, when we went uh, to do some capital visits a couple of weeks ago, the feedback we got was, you guys should be here more, more often, you know. So that's, those are kind of navigating that political space uh is is not my uh strongest <laughs> skill set coming into this role but i'm developing those skills okay what do you think is the most important lesson you've learned over the course of your career um most important lesson um the most important lesson i've learned over my career is that the culture of an organization um, can either make or break you, and that it's impossible to separate the culture of an organization from its ability to have the impact it's seeking in the community. Okay. So one last question. Thinking back to when you started your career, what is the one piece of advice you'd give to someone who was in that position who's just starting out? Yeah, I would tell them to get a really good uh, background in how to like organize and, and organize, um, organize your like strategic planning, you know, your organize your work is what I'm trying to say. Um, how do you set up your your goals and what you hope to accomplish and how will you track the extent to which um, you've achieved or not achieved your goals? I think that uh, background has really helped me. Um, and whenever I remember go, to go back to that, I find myself having a little bit more peace. So I'd recommend people really invest some time in strategic planning training. So some of those things that public health people, we don't always get, <laughs> you know, we, that's not a big part of our studies, but it's really important um, as you move through, you know, whether you're going towards mostly project or research-based um, work or into leadership, getting a little bit of business and administration type of, of training. Okay. Dr. Marvia Jones, Director of the Kansas City Health Department, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us today. Thank you, it's been a pleasure. Conversations with Leaders in Public Health, presented by the Heartland Center, located in the College for Public Health and Social Justice on the campus of St. Louis University at the heart of Midtown St. Louis. Health through justice for all. Local, regional, and global communities that are healthy, thriving, and just.